Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Sevier, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.sevier, and you can also find him on YouTube. Welcome to episode 53 of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. Today we have a really, really exciting guest, uh, Dr. Donald Grant. He is well-versed in many, many arenas, and I can't wait to dive in. You know, he's, he's fantastic. Yes, this is a great conversation. Welcome, Dr. Grant. We are really, really excited to have you on our podcast this week. Um, you are bringing so much yes. information. I, I can't wait. We Well, we yes. both can't wait, really, um, to dive in. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to just introduce yourself uh, before we even get started? Sure. Um, I'm Donald Grant. I am trained as a clinical psychologist. I don't practice currently. I oversaw foster care systems for Los Angeles County of De- Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health uh, for several years, and I realized I was more of a systems person, and so I found myself uh, immersed in higher education, where I'm the executive director of a Center for Community and Social Impact uh, at Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena, in addition to running a small training and consulting firm called Mindful Training Solutions, and uh, I do trainings on mental health, implicit bias, um, trauma, neuro- neurological stuff, just across the board. And so I'm really excited to be here with you all um, to kind of talk about these systems and a little bit about uh, the research that I've done. So that'd be great. That's Wow. Implicit bias. Yeah. I would love to get into that right. conversation down the yes. line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, sounds like it's you everywhere. you have a, a lot on your, on your plate, which is good. Yeah. This is amazing. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So over the past few few weeks, Dana and I have been discussing and just kind of talking about how black women experience healthcare differently. And along with experience health experiencing healthcare differently, we are labeled or the the narrative is pushed upon yes. us or it's kind of like a burden that we are strong the strong black woman narrative that that's always like the case. I, I, that's what I feel. I think that's what Dana and I have been discussing. And, um, in last week's podcast, we were talking about the video that you did on the Fox soul show, which was incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Yes. And it was super enlightening. It was really, really enlightening. And it confirmed a lot of what we talked about with stress and black people. Yes. And it was as if, you know, we've been talking about this, our experiences demonstrate a lot of what you said. Um, But, you know, when you were talking about the research and how 
now like you know stress can be measured it's you know it's as if like in the past like we're gaslighted into thinking that oh it's just all in your head you're you know these things aren't happening you know all of that but the fact that um yeah it's stress is a measurable thing and you had made a comment stress is a measurable yeah exactly yeah and Mm -hmm. um you had made a comment that and this just really just struck i think like stuck out to both don and i that like just by virtue of being black, your membership um, as a black yeah. person um, gives you or puts you in a position where you are experiencing an an extraordinarily um, this amount of stress. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. amount yeah. of stress. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, we we live in an environment. Yeah, it's it's, it's unnerving in many ways um, because. When you look at the ecology that Black people come from, there are all these risk factors that kind of create the environment in which we grow and develop across the entire lifespan. There are unique risk factors that make us um, responsible for a disproportionate burden of stress throughout the world. And in many ways, we've been convinced that our threshold for pain is much higher. And I'm talking both emotional, mental pain, in addition to physical Mm -hmm. pain. Um, We've been convinced that through this cycle of oppression that we're a part of in this in this nation. And and my research demonstrates the world, really, not just this nation. When you look at black folk who develop in Euronormative nations, those are countries and municipalities that are primarily white, where the dominant culture sets the norms. And so when we talk about stress and those experiences, uh, amongst Black people, it's I, I think a good analogy or a good anecdote is the opioid crisis. Um, the opioid crisis, uh, right now it's affecting everybody pretty awfully, but when it first kind of hit, it was really only affecting white people. And the reason for that, and this is one of the quantifiable risk factors that we talk about, the reason for that is because many doctors in the medical industry Uh, were kind of fed by this construct of our high threshold for pain. And as a result, Black folk were not getting prescribed the pain medications at the same levels as white people. And we were not impacted as a result by the opioid epidemic in its early stages. And so when we talk about our enslavement, our capture from the continent, we're looking at a situation where dominant culture had to identify us as... Um, a commodity. And as a commodity, we minimize the humanity. And when we minimize the humanity, we minimize capacity Mm. for pain. Um, And so we Mm. see this operationalized in so many different ways where Black people are convinced and told that they're strong. But there's this great book on trauma called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. I can't Mm -hmm. think of the author right now. But in this book, The Body Keeps the Score, it talks about no matter how you cognitively process the stress that you're experiencing and the trauma, no matter whether you convince yourself that you're okay, our body systems are still being impacted by that stress, no matter how you convince yourself your, how high your threshold wow. is. I, I totally, I can see that because having, just putting MS in the mix, having a disease like multiple sclerosis and then dealing with those outside stressors yeah. mm-hmm. you think that okay i can i can manage this i have a good medical team i have i'm on some great medications 
I, I can handle this. I can do this. But then you've got all the other aspects, for example, economics, because mm -hmm. medication is really expensive. You know, this mm -hmm. is a very, very expensive disease. Yeah. Um, then you have, you know, family stress, you know, putting that in there. Um, just like if you are not working a regular nine to five job, how am I going, you know, putting that back into the economic role? Like, how am I going to take care of all this? So, yeah, you can manage. You think you're managing the illness, but then you're really not. And, it, and then, too, let's nonsense. add on living life as a black person. It, it, right, right. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. All those things come together and they kind of create this synergy and synergy, um, you know, is when one plus one equals four and not right. two. And people don't realize how those things come together for any any kind of comorbidity. We see the results for black people oftentimes exponentially worse. And so when we talk about heart disease, black people die from heart disease more often than other races. And this is across all socioeconomic mm -hmm. strati, right? Um, so it's not just rich right. black folk or poor black folk, it's all black folk when they normalize for socioeconomic status. So heart disease, diabetes, we're getting amputations when you don't mm -hmm. have to get an amputation. Um, and so some of the common factors and denominators associated with that is our blackness mm -hmm. and all those experiences that synergize together um, and I don't want to come be totally right. deficits based, right? I mean, there's a lot of really resilient qualities associated with our right. experience, um, but a lot of those resilient qualities come from this construct of yes. post-traumatic yes. growth, meaning that we can't minimize these negative experiences that we've had and that the fact that they've contributed to our resilience and we want to honor that, but we also want to kind of be able to mitigate these experiences, these microaggressions, this racism, mm -hmm. this lack of access, um, discrimination, mm -hmm. all those things. I think what disturbs me is what I was initially saying, the burden of, of carrying the strong black woman narrative, um, mm -hmm. you know, when, when faced, mm -hmm. you know, by a, a doctor or something like that, it's like, oh, well, you can handle it. I, you know, I've gone to different appointments and had therapy and mm -hmm. then it's almost like, oh, well, you can deal with it. You're, you're strong. And they've actually said that. And I, yeah. I don't know where mm -hmm. that comes from. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. Yes, yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it comes yeah, from white you're right. <laughs> It comes, and I think we have to be very honest sometimes. I think sometimes we skate around um, the problem and we kind of give people passes too often on not calling a right. thing a thing. And what we know is that our medical community, there's this great book called, another great book. I love books. And so mm -hmm. you'll hear me oftentimes um, talk about a book, um, Medical yes. Apartheid by Harriet yes. Washington. And, yes. Um, yes. Great book, right? And it tells the story, one of the, one of the many stories it tells is the Marion Sims. And Marion Sims is identified as mm -hmm. the father of gynecology. Um, Marion Sims would purchase enslaved black women and practice gynecological mm -hmm. surgeries on them without anesthesia in order to master his technique for the white women who he served. And so this has been a historical trope in order to maintain our oppression to say, oh, when I am whipping them with this whip, I get to reduce the cognitive, the cognitive right. dissonance of me feeling bad about it because they can tolerate more pain. And this has gone through history, history. And now oppression, the way oppression works is that it becomes self-inflicted. So now not only 
are we being treated that way from our medical professionals? We're treating one another that way, where we treat ourselves as though we have this inordinate amount of physical power that's not impacted by stress of the world when it actually is. Right, for sure. I mean, it's it's amplified. Like you said, you know where it comes from. It's, yes. it's racism. It's it really, that's what it is. And it mm-hmm. is terribly, um, I don't know what the word is, but it, it's frustrating, number one. And I think it leads to depression in some cases um, because we don't, we hit a wall. Mm-hmm. It's like, you want so much from me, but I, I can only give, I can only give what I can give. I can only be who I am. Right. Yeah. And I'm only yeah. human. But, you know, just I'm because, again, human. we're not human. Yeah. And people don't understand. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we're not human. And that's the way that's yeah. the right. way that we're treated. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. And, and, and our humanity shows in the outcomes related to kind of this, this concept of race-based right. stress. Um, so we all, because we all exist on, on this planet together, everybody, no matter what your race or ethnicity is, everybody experiences mm-hmm. a certain level of stress. And that's a given. Um, and all stress is not bad. Right. We know that to be true because it creates right. our ability to grow and, and stretch right. ourselves. Um, but race-based stress, it, it really manifests itself in several different ways. And when we look at the diseases like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, depression, arthritis, MS, um, a lot of these things are in some ways triggered as a result of this race-based stress. I love the analogy. I always give it that if we were in a room and we had a glass of gasoline sitting on um, a table, we all know the most um, intrinsic quality of gasoline, that it's combustible. It's not just flammable. It explodes. But if that glass of gasoline was sitting on a table in an office building, you would never see its most intrinsic quality. Mm. If you took it to an auto mechanic shop with sparks flying around, suddenly that gasoline demonstrates one of its most intrinsic qualities. Many of us are predisposed to a variety of things, be it mental illness, um, be it somatic illnesses, and because we have this compounded level of stress that we experience, many of us succumb to these diseases and disorders because the ecology is no longer an air-conditioned office space. It's a mechanic shop with, with sparks flying everywhere, everywhere we wow. go, and we can't that minimize is, that. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is. I don't, and I don't think that black people take a look at it. I think we just kind of go with the motion. You know, we just kind of flow and we say, okay, well, this is what, this is what we have to do. And this is what needs to get done. And we just keep going and going and going and accumulate these tremendous amounts of stressors and build upon the, the anxiety. It's almost like a pyramid, you know, you just, it's one after yeah. one step after the other after the other. And um, what, what were we going to say, Dana? I no, I was going to say we don't name it. That's the thing. I think so often That's it's right. difficult for us maybe trying to not make other people uncomfortable to actually mm-hmm. name what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah, people don't like to talk about um, 
those it's divisive i hate and I, i'm like using that in air you know air quotes like you know it's it's a divisive yeah, thing yeah, to talk about yeah. like we all experience stress we all face this that and the other no it's a very real specific thing it's just a hard it's a hard fact and oftentimes when i give uh talks to large groups it's it's oftentimes a room full mm -hmm. of white people and I'm really quick to say when I'm talking about things like privilege and implicit mm -hmm. bias and historical trauma, I make it clear to people. I say, listen, in this conversation, we're not attacking right. white people. We're attacking yes. white privilege. And for white people to be able to sit with that, it, it's challenging because many are, many of these individuals consider themselves, you know, mm -hmm. kind, forward thinking, liberal, um, you know, God fearing, God loving people in many cases. Um, and it's hard for them to rationalize the fact that they are silently endorsing mm -hmm. a system that works to oppress large groups of people, whether we're talking about the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community, the black community, the Latinx mm -hmm. community, um, the Persian, American, Arab community, whatever it is we're talking about, it's important to say, as you hold these benefits, other people yes. are holding the burdens of the detriments. Yes. Um, that are on the opposite yeah. side of that. And so, uh, for instance, I think about pay equality, and I give this example a lot. Um, in America, we've been convinced that it is um, bad manners to ask people about their salaries, right? We'll be in a conversation, people will easily ask, you know, what do you do? And you will have that conversation. Uh, but when it comes to salary, nobody ever talks about it because we've been trained. And in my mind, and what some research demonstrates, is in many ways that is a trope of misogyny because now the woman in the break room and the man in the break room doing mm -hmm. the exact same job will never have a comfortable space to talk about salary and that woman will never know she's making less than 78 cents on every dollar that he makes mm -hmm. uh, because that's how oppressive systems work. We put um, kind of policies and practices in place um, that make us maintain the ignorance of the oppressed right. so that they don't ask for equity. Yes. And just kind of going wow. back to what you were saying about white privilege, I find that a number of my Caucasian friends will feel like, oh, you're 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 being discriminatory. Like, how are you talking? Why are you talking this way? I I don't have white privilege. I, I, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I grew up poor or this or that. And it, it's, it's like, no, yeah. I need you to understand. And I'm grateful for the friends that I have because they do understand this when I explain it. White privilege isn't about being born with this silver spoon in your, in their, in your mouth. It's about, for example, what we were talking about, going to the doctor and saying, hey, something is wrong with me. I am having extreme fatigue. I'm my eyesight is is damaged. Some I'm I have blurred vision. I have numbness and tingling. Something is wrong. Okay, and so the doctor says, "Well, take some Advil, take some Motrin. You have the flu." Okay, so this is a black person, but white privilege says, "Oh, let's do some further testing." It doesn't matter if you come from a, if you have a silver That's spoon right. or not. Mm -hmm. You're just by the virtue of you having pale skin or lighter skin, I should say. That's privilege, and that's what mm -hmm. I need people to understand. You know, in my circle, that you know, fortunately, they do. Yeah, skin privilege is so is so real, and I mean, I think we all have uh, friends who are at different mm -hmm. stages in this learning cycle. 
um, as it relates to their ability to be anti-racist, mm -hmm. right? There's a difference between somebody who is an ally and somebody who's yes. accomplished. Um, there are lots of really great folk who come up alongside different groups and are supportive. They'll make a sign for the march mm -hmm. and they'll do this and that and the other. Um, and that's an ally, but an accomplice is somebody who uh, takes a risk to support the effort. A man who is willing to say, I am willing to take a certain amount out of my check I'd, I, and for this organization with a finite budget in order to increase pay equality, I'm willing to make a little bit less. That's what being an accomplice is. And when we talk about these issues, we need our white brothers and sisters to be accomplices in this work and risk friendships mm -hmm. and family members to be able to really speak to the truth of white privilege, meaning that, like you just said, it doesn't matter where you were born or how you were born, you gain benefits simply by being a member of this particular group. You did nothing mm -hmm. to get in this group besides be born genetically white. And um, I feel like so many times people are put off by that. And um, I don't know if it's oftentimes mm -hmm. the messengers that are, um, you know, are, are giving it in a way that it's not palatable right. to them or the people who are just not able to receive it under in, in any type mm -hmm. of delivery. Um, but we have to work hard to get people to understand that, you know, it's nothing yes. you did, but now it's something that Absolutely. you need to right. It's hard for people, I think, to sit with that. It, you know, you have to be uncomfortable because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not getting it. Yeah, I think. for sure. Yes. Yep. Right. And you're yes. not growing. So can I ask, how do you, knowing that we have these stressors and these undue hardships just by, by virtue of being, you know, black, how do we manage this? How do you, how, what do you do? How do you manage the anxiety? Well, there's so many, there's so many things that uh, we have to pay attention to. I think one of the first things is like addressing mental health stigma. Um, I'm not saying that a formal therapist is the answer for everyone. Um, however, that doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to stigma against mental mm -hmm. illness because taking care of your mental wellness is not just about going to see a therapist although i do advocate right. for that um we have a long history where we've looked at um mental wellness and mental health as a white thing right and that's another part of oppression don't allow these individuals to engage in these services that mm -hmm. will help them um the first thing we have to do is kind of get around this stigma of mental illness. I remember a comedian, I think it was Chris Rock years ago, he said, The only the only mental illness that's ever existed in the black community is a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. And we can remember all of our throughout our family histories, there was always an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa or somebody who had a nervous breakdown. And what we know today is no, they had untreated bipolar right. disorder or they had right. schizophrenia or these different and because we in the black community so rarely are naming those things, um, there's this distance between us and mm -hmm. mental wellness. Um, I try to do yoga twice a week. And so for me, that is a space where I really, really, really um, get some healing from. And it's, you know, that hour and 10 minutes of hot mm -hmm. yoga. And when you talk about stress, everything has a biological basis, right? And so 
we experience stress as a result of a hormone called cortisol that increases in our bloodstream. And like you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. it's measurable. There are three ways in which we're able to biologically reduce the amount of cortisols in our bodies. Um, one is perspiration. Uh, when we sweat, there's a measurable amount of cortisols that come out of our body. So when we're talking about managing stress, um, physical activity is certainly an important thing. And that's why yoga for me works because it's meditation combined with mm -hmm. physical activity. Um, a second way is our tears. Um, tears have a measurable amount of cortisol mm -hmm. that come out of our body. And I'm sure you both can think of a time where you said you yes. had a good cry. Um, several times and now that I'm in my 40s um, I cry really easily I wish I was an actor so I could cry <laughs> on um, but um, tears really release uh, cortisols and so sometimes we've been convinced that crying is weakness and this is particularly a trope as it relates to toxic mm -hmm. masculinity um, but we literally stop people from one of the major biological ways of reducing stress and so Mental, Ill, mental wellness practices, whether it's meditation, um, going to see a therapist, going to some help groups. Like if you don't want to go one-on-one -on -one with a therapist, try going to a neighborhood group where they're talking about something mm -hmm. and learning. Uh, but in addition, physical activity. And if you need to cry, don't tell yourself you right. can't because that is literally a physiological way mm -hmm. to get stress out of your body. Yeah. And uh, wow. it goes back to the narrative. It goes all the way. It always goes back to that. We are, mm -hmm. we are given the badge. And it's not <laughs> a badge of honor. It's the badge of you're strong. You don't need to cry. Yeah. Just keep I going. think it kind of speaks to how dangerous these narratives and these tropes are. This constant, you're strong. I mean, definitely relating it to the way that masculinity is framed in the society. But even just thinking about the strong black woman narrative, yeah. um, it's dangerous. Yep. You can't hurt. You can't. It's severely dangerous. And so, for instance, if we talk about different diagnoses and different mental health diagnoses, um, it's important to note that depression in a poor black community looks different yes. than depression in a white community, right? And so what happens is, is they look at this black woman and they say, oh, she can't be depressed because she's getting up and going to work every day. Well, the difference is if she doesn't get up mm -hmm. and go to work every day, her children might die from yes. starvation. And so just because we are creating these measurements from a really Eurocentric, individualistic model and, uh, you know, the diagnostic book for right. kind of psychologists is uh -huh. the DSM-5. And it's been kind of created over a variety of iterations. Um, and the one we have currently is probably honestly one of the best ones that we have, but it's still riddled with flaws, um, even though it's considering culture in a way that they hadn't before we're still seeing a lack of black folk who are involved in clinical trials, who are involved in studies. Um, and as a result, we're not getting normative information on what our mental wellness and illness looks right. like. Um, we need people to understand that just because this black woman um, from the outside is looking put together, her hair is done, her nails are done, she's going to work, she has her power suit on, 
um, the things that she sits yeah. with can be debilitating when she's alone. Yes. And so what we want to do is to be able to say and kind of flip that narrative on its head and not say that, you know, black women are weak, but that black women are human women yes. who experience yes. the same things as other women. And it just might not look the same. Um, and, and what are we doing about that? How are we training um, our clinicians? How are we training our medical staff to understand these things look differently? I think one great example right now um, is this intergenerational um, concern with infant mortality and black mm -hmm. women dying yes. at childbirth. Yes. It is astounding the mm -hmm. disproportionate numbers by yes. which black babies and black women die at childbirth. And a lot of this is related to doctors, not intentionally, not deliberately, but working across this space of implicit bias and not knowing that they're putting these women and babies in harm's mm -hmm. way by seeing them in a certain way that they don't even know that right. they're seeing them. In. Well, there was a case, this woman wasn't pregnant, just a quick case that I think, I think she was in Chicago. She went 28 mm. years old. She went to the hospital. She had just had a baby as a matter of fact, and she was experiencing chest pain and shortness of breath. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I read and so Sydney, she sat there she and, she, well, I think she ended up leaving because they never, you know, uh, saw her. They didn't see her right away. And so she left and I, I believe she ended up dying. I don't know if it was at home or she went back, but they, she had some sort of, I don't know if there was an obstruction or tear or something that was caused from having this child that she had just had. So, yeah. yeah, that speaks to exactly what you're what you're saying. And, you know, I, I read an article not too long ago. Um, and I think I mentioned this to you a while ago, Dr. Grant. It was uh, Lupito Nyong'o. She was talking about her character and 12 years as a slave. And she said that it was really difficult mm -hmm. to her, for her to release Patsy, who is the character that she played. She mm -hmm. said, because emotionally she yeah. she was she was her for so long and mm -hmm. then coming out of that and mm -hmm. you know now trying to talk about this character and being her being lupita she said i had a hard time releasing her and releasing the character because the only difference between patsy and lupita is time because mm -hmm. emotionally she carried the same so, things which i thought was incredible that blew my mind and I'm like, here is yeah. this woman speaking from slavery. It's profound. Mm -hmm. um, and what she's speaking to is what has been really well researched. And it's this construct of intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. um, there's another great book called Post-Traumatic yes. Slave Syndrome mm -hmm. um, by Dr. Joy, Joy DeGreary. And in this book, she talks about how, and it's, it's really a well-researched area at this time. A lot of their original research came about uh, as it relates to um, many um, indigenous communities. And so when I was in Australia and I was talking to my tour guide um, about the Aboriginal people there, um, it's the same story that we see with our Native Americans here in um, North America. Um, and the concern is, is that even though individuals contemporarily have not experienced the um, uh, experience of enslavement, we are still operating from some of those mm -hmm. things. And so Dr. DeGree gives this great example in one of her lectures, and just I'll do it really quickly. Uh, she says you have two moms sitting at a sporting event for their children, a white mom and a black mom, and 
the white mom looks at the black, I mean, the black mom looks at the white mom and says, oh, you guys must be really proud of Johnny. He's doing well, blah, 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 blah. Um, and the white mom responds humbly, yes, we're really proud of him. He's doing well. Both these boys are performing at the same level. And so the white mom looks at the black mom and says, you guys must be really proud of uh, Tyree. He's doing so well. And the black mom responds, girl, he a mess. He got all these girls calling the house. He's only getting B's when I know he can get A's and blah, 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 blah. And so what Dr. DeGuri posits is that when the um, plantation owner, when the slave master would come over to the black enslaved woman and began to compliment her on her son, she knew that in that next moment, that child was going to be sold off the plantation. Yes. And so her immediate response was, oh, no, master, he's lazy, yes. he's shiftless, he's da-da-da-da-da, to minimize the pain that she saw her sister go through last week when her nephew was sold thousands of miles away to another plantation. And so um, that's just a small anecdote of how we don't even know that we're living with this pain from the past. And then we have these contemporary injuries that happen through microaggressions mm -hmm. or macroaggressions, and they all compound with one another. And, and we're just not talking right. about it sufficiently. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, you all are. So that's Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's important because uh, we say it all the time. Our voices are just not heard. Like, you know, I was telling Dana earlier, the, mm -hmm. this MS community, people may say, oh, we hear you. Yes, we hear you. And they pat you on the, it's like a condescending pat. Like, yes, we understand. But you really don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. You don't. You don't want to. And that's, the, and that's the problem. People think they want to understand. And they come with this kind of um, very, not paternalistic, but very minimized view of what they're seeking to mm -hmm. understand. And then once they begin to get some of the understanding, in many ways, it just presents them with so much cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance are these two competing thoughts that exist at the mm -hmm. same time, and you have to reconcile one of them. And so you look and you say, whoa, 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 that got way too deep for me. I wasn't ready mm -hmm. for that. And so now I've gone as far as I'm willing to go. Yes. And as a result, I am not willing to see any more of your humanity yes. because I have the privilege to not. Right. Yeah. Like we're, we're dehumanized and we have been. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Stay tuned for next week. We will be continuing the conversation with Dr. Grant. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.